0: Well, thanks so much to our, uh, our worship team, as well as all the people doing technical things that you can't see. Uh, every week, they make that kind of magic happen, so we're really grateful for that. Um, this morning, we're obviously doing something a little different. Um, Pastor Russ was scheduled to preach this week, but in his prayer time on Tuesday morning, he just really sensed that God was saying to him, maybe we should just hit pause on his message for this week and shift our focus to... Well, not moving from our Bold as Love series, but asking the question, what, is, what does it mean to be bold as love? Uh, what does that bold love look like, especially in the face of tragedy? And so we're, we're going to be considering uh, some of the questions, especially around um, what love looks like for our city in the face of the tragedy this past Sunday. And I agreed. I think this is something that we need to do. You know, when I first heard of the crash, it was just on a Facebook post. Someone had said a plane just crashed, uh, one of the snowbirds. And I thought, Really? That just sounds so out there. I didn't have a category to put that in. I, I, I just, I wasn't sure I believed it at first. But then I saw a photo. And after I saw that, I, I, I texted a, a really good friend, Casey Dwyer, who lives right in that neighborhood. And I just wanted to see if they are okay, what was going on. And he got back to me and he just said that he and his girls were out for a bike ride and, and they actually saw what happened and they were really shaken up by it. Um, but I just love what this dad did. He got his kids home safely. And then he gathered his family around, and they brought their hearts and their mourning to the one who deeply cares. And I was just so, so encouraged to hear that. And, um, and so first, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray for the family of Captain Jennifer Casey as they, they mourn deeply right now, and, uh, and also just for the speedy recovery of the pilot as well. You know, in our boldest Love series, we've been speaking about how God's love is active and present and flowing through our hearts into every relationship, and we've been focusing in on what that looks like in our homes and in our marriages, in particularly. But you know, uh, the book of Ephesians is really about God's love and and the greatness and grandness of it. And we, as God's people, if you're one of His followers, then love is to be our business in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And so I talked to Pastor Colton and Pastor Jill, and and they agreed that that. We really are going to talk today about how to have great conversations with our kids, with our neighbors, actually with our own selves as well, when we have questions around tragic situations. Because if we're honest, sometimes Christian people have not always responded in the most helpful ways in the face of tragedy. Sometimes there's been cheap answers instead of just real presence, offering words that didn't bring hope or healing but just simple cliches. And so to lead in this discussion today, I want us just to hear what Paul prays right in the middle of this little book, the letter to the Ephesians. It reminds us that a personal experience of God's love like is at heart what we most desperately need. So I'm going to start reading in Ephesians 3, verse 16. Listen to the Word of God. I pray that out of His, speaking of God the Father, out of His glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you might have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer, and really, my hope for us too this morning is that we would be experiencing the love of Christ poured into our hearts, and somehow in this panel discussion today, that Christ would be glorified, that God the Father would be honored, that the Spirit would be recognized. Let's just pray as we begin. God, we're so thankful that you have uh, you inspired the apostle Paul to write this prayer in just this way, to remind us that what our hearts most desperately need is you. And we pray, Father, that you would take these next words in these moments as we, as we preach and speak the Word of God into this situation, uh, that you would be helping us to hear your voice because that's ultimately what we need now. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so I'm going to begin with uh, chatting to Pastor Jill here. And if you're new to Summit Drive, Jill is our pastor of Children and Family Ministries. Um, and Jill, for, for some of us with young kids, we might have been asked... Like what happened? Like, maybe the kids heard about this from chatting with their their friends across the road, or maybe maybe they heard it on the news or something. and um, maybe we've just been looking for ways to help our kids understand something like this, to think Christianly about this event or others like it and uh, and we know that not every not every explanation is going to be age appropriate. So thinking about how kids at maybe different ages, maybe like four to six or seven to nine or ten, eleven, twelve, like what counsel might you give to parents to help their kids in a moment like this?
1: Thanks, Dave. Well, first of all, off, I think um, as parents that our natural instinct is to want to protect and shelter our children as long as possible. I know as a mom, I want my kids to be happy and free to just enjoy life and be a kid without thinking about kind of the ugly side of life or some of the more difficult things in life. But, you know, when things like this plane crash happen, I think it reminds us and our children that sometimes bad or tragic things do happen. And sometimes people get hurt and sometimes they even die. And as much as we want to protect our children when things like this happen, I think it gives parents and teachers an opportunity to have a different kind of conversation with our kids. First, for children of all ages, I think it's important for us to allow them to be sad, to feel the tragedy of an event like this, and not try to immediately jump into fix-it mode or making them feel better. This allows our children to develop feelings of empathy and love towards other people, and it teaches them that it's okay to be sad, and it's okay to grieve when things like this happen, that it is sad and it is difficult, and, and that's okay. That's, that's a part of life that, that we embrace as well. And second, I think it's important to emphasize to our children that God is sad when things like this happen too. God cares about each one of us, and when we hurt, he hurts. He understands how we feel. We can pray to him and he will give us comfort just as Casey did with his family. You know, I've had Psalm 23 memorized since I was a little girl. So as a parent, it's often one of the my favorite go-to passages of Scripture. And so it's a psalm I will often use and recite to my kids if they're feeling um, sad or scared or anxious about something. And I'm always amazed at the way Scripture has this ability to just comfort my children and bring them peace. And I'm sure, parents, that you you have some favorite scriptures like that, too, that you can use with your kids. I think even when kids don't fully understand everything that the scripture is saying, just speaking the word of God to them has a way of, of bringing comfort and peace to them in times like this. Um, and Psalm 23, it is a great, a great psalm of hope and of promise. And as it says, one thing we do know is that God is with us. And more than any neat or tidy answer that we could give to our kids, they need to know that we need Jesus in our questions and in our pain. And thirdly, now this is for kids who are probably a little bit older, I would say maybe around age eight and up. But parents, you know when your kids are ready for these kind of conversations. Um, But I think tragic events like this, they provide opportunities for us to begin to talk with our children about why, at a larger scale, bad things happen. Events like this remind us that something is wrong with our world. And Pastor Dave is going to touch on this some more um, a little bit later. Tragic things and hard things, They happen, it's a part of life. Life does not always turn out the way that we want it to. And we need to take advantage of these opportunities to teach our kids how to respond to tragedy and to answer their questions about why bad things happen. Now if your kids are asking this question, then I would start by making sure that they know that this is a really good question. And it's a question that everybody wrestles with and everybody has to answer whether you're a christian or you follow another religion or you don't believe in god at all this is um, a question that we all face and tragedies often force us to confront this question why do bad things happen and what is wrong with our world and i would probably start off by telling my kids that one of the reasons that i'm a christian is that i believe that christians have the best answer to this question. We're able to answer this question um, better than anyone else. And so explain to your children that the Christian answer to this question begins with creation, that God created the entire world and he created us in his image. Now being created in God's image means that there are some very important ways that we have been created to be like God. And one of those ways is that God has given us free will. Free will means that I can freely make my own choices. I get to choose what clothes to wear when I get up in the morning, I can choose what I'm going to eat for breakfast, and I can make more difficult choices too, like choosing to forgive someone when they've hurt me, or choosing to love someone maybe when I don't feel like loving them. And for kids, I like to contrast this with a robot who can only do what it has been programmed to do. Does a robot make choices? Sometimes it may seem like it, but it really only does what it's been programmed to do or what it's been told to do. But we are not like robots. We have the ability to freely make choices. One of the choices that we have the ability to make is to choose whether or not we're going to follow God. Adam and Eve were the first ones to make this choice, and when they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from, they were choosing to disobey God. When we choose to disobey God, our relationship with him is broken. The consequence of choosing to disobey God is that death and destruction enter the world. This includes things that we maybe sometimes don't have an explanation for or an answer for why they happened, things such as this plane crash or the coronavirus that we're all dealing with right now. And at some point, your kids might ask, well, why did God give us free will if he knew that we would choose to disobey him and it was gonna mess everything up? This is also a really good question. and one that we may not be able to see the whole answer to because we are not God and we can't see and know everything about what is happening in the world. But what we do know is God thought that making free people with free will was much more important than making people who could only choose what was good all the time, who had no choice in what they were doing. God created us out of love. He desires to have a relationship with us He desired to make us in his image, and he knew that free will was a very important part of that. Without free will, we would be like a robot, only doing what we were programmed to do. God wanted us to be able to freely choose him, to choose to love him, but that means we also had to have the free choice to reject him. Finally, we need to remind our kids, and this is for kids of all ages, definitely, that we have hope. When Jesus died on the cross, he won the victory over death and sin. And Jesus, oh, sorry, I lost my place there. (laughs) It's on the back. Jesus has promised to return one day. He has promised that he's going to fix everything that's wrong with the world. And our kids need to know that. The Bible tells us that Jesus is preparing a place for us, a new home to live in, and you can read about that with your kids at the end of the book of Revelation if you want. This is a place where there will be no more pain or sadness, where we can live with God forever. But there are lots of people who don't have this hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. As parents, we can begin by sharing with our kids any chance that we get the reason for the hope that we have. And then we can begin to teach our kids how to share that hope with others. We do that both by helping to answer their why questions and by modeling for them how to love others well especially in times of tragedy.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Jill. I think those are really, really helpful for our parents. And I was just thinking about my kids thinking, I don't get to choose what I have for breakfast. I'd have pancakes every day. <laughs> so there's bounds within which that happens. But you're right, we we have free will. And God is, that's a such a key part of um, why he created us the way he did. So thank you. Um, for those who may not know, uh, Pastor Colton is our pastor of student ministries. And so he works with our youth, with their families, he also works with a lot of young adult leaders who, who are helping in that way. And, uh, and as we prayed even today, um, Colton, you're, you're going through some, some, this is a personal question for you. you know, things with your dad are, are not ideal right now. And so uh, I'm just gonna ask you to just maybe chat through a little bit of how what God has revealed to us through the scriptures has been helpful for you and for us as we think about things like this.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. You yeah, know, when I first heard of the plane crash, uh, my initial thought was like, hey, uh, there's all kinds of rumors going around about what happened. I don't really know. So I'm gonna pray with a lot of hopefulness and just get on my knees and pray, and hopefully uh, the results won't be too bad. But as as we began to find out what really happened, kind of began to pray more in in the mode of less less about the hopefulness and more with kind of a, a sick heart. And when I say sick heart, I'm referring to Proverbs thirteen. Uh, verse 12, which says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life." And that word "deferred" is a good word for Christians, especially because our hope is never crushed if our hope is in Christ. Uh, but certainly, the hopefulness of praying through this situation was crushed. Um, there, that uh, now was a time to mourn and lament what had happened. And yeah, I've been going through that a little bit with my my father. Um, a few months ago, he got reports back that he was cancer-free, and we were pumped, and then next thing we know, there's a big tumor growing, and so he had that removed, and now he's undergoing treatment for chemotherapy, and um, and then we'll later need a significant surgery uh, to remove stuff. So, yeah, it's been kind of entering into that heart-sick place where the, the longing that we were hoping to be fulfilled wasn't fulfilled. Right, right.
0: So... Like how do, we, how do we respond when our hearts are experiencing that heart sickness, that deferred sense? Or maybe not just for our own hearts, but like for those around us as well. You
2: know, Ecclesiastes puts it really well, because when it, when it refers to there being a time for everything, that there's a time to mourn, a time to dance. Good to go. A time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to weep, a time to be silent, and then there's a time to speak, and there's a time to mend. And as Paul says in Romans 12, there's a time to weep with those who weep. And so uh, that's been a big part of just realizing what time is it right now. Uh, I have a professor back when I went to school in the States, his name is Dr. Dorset. And he had lost his daughter at 10 years old. One night she got sick and the next morning she had passed away. And he said that as he walked out of the hospital room where, where she had passed away, a well-meaning friend was there and had a verse to share with him. And he said, you know, you really, if God doesn't have you, you don't have a verse then, like, you're not really going to hear a verse, even from a close friend. Um, and so, I think that's important to realize, hey, there is a time for everything, and the right after the tragedy is not the time. Um, but he didn't leave it there either. Uh, Dr. Dorsett, he said that late at night, he was uh, trying to sleep, and he and his wife weren't sleeping. And so, he was reminded then that Jesus has, Jesus has promised that, He would give his presence and his comfort. So they prayed for the presence of the Holy Spirit to comfort them, knowing that he said that, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he said, call on me. And so uh, he called out to God in his grief. Uh, Even with our big answers, our big uh, questions and our anger, uh, that's really important, I think, to call out to God in our grief, to actually lament and to bring our actual real feelings to him. Yeah, and I know
0: Jill already (laughs) cited a psalm um, and And I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about what, how the Psalms help us to lament, what they say about lament in them.
2: You know, 46% of the Psalter, which is called the Book of Praises, is lament. (laughs) I think that should tell us something about the nature of our life and what it means to praise God in, like, real life. Uh, But the pattern of lament is pretty helpful. Uh, I'll just use Psalm 130 as an example. In most psalms of lament, the initial thing is a call out to God. So Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And then it usually follows with a complaint of what's going on, the the sin or the, the trouble they're in, or a confession of sin, and then usually an assertion of their confidence in God. In Psalm 130 it says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And then in all but one psalm of lament, there's always a praise to finish. And Psalm 130, it's Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord, with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from their sins. Uh, and that's, that's true. Laments are real and honest. You bring your real feelings, uh, but then it also roots us in the reality that God is still on the throne and that he cares for us. And Jesus, he cries out on the cross, uh, Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. Um, and again and again, we see Jesus speaking out the psalms. It, and I find that really helpful to see that, that, to know that in the midst of our sorrows, we are in the company with who's, one who's called the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ, who cries out the contents of these psalms. He doesn't just feel sorry for us, right? He actually takes the agony on himself and bears our griefs and sorrows, it says in Isaiah and because of his love, uh, th- that lament really is not the last word.
0: Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, all but one psalm of lament end with a note of hope. So how does that, um, how does that inform our response to tragic events as well?
2: It, I think there does come a time to focus on our thoughts on hope uh, and to speak it out. Uh, weeping with someone and sharing hope are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they go together well. It would be weird if we didn't weep with someone to then just speak. It, might, it would fall flat. Um, but that ministry of presence is so important, right? Holding someone, weeping with them, helping provide actual needs like food. That's a big deal. Um, and I think Jesus pictures this really well. In John 11, Jesus shows up to, uh, to... His friend Lazarus has passed away and he shows up and he goes to comfort his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And... He weeps with them, and he shares hope of the resurrection. And then finally the hope is fulfilled, because Jesus performs an amazing miracle. Uh, But when Jesus doesn't show up at first, so he finds out and there's a few days that go by, he doesn't show up at first to Lazarus. I think uh, the story kind of feels a little bit like we often do when our hope is deferred. Uh, That we call out for Jesus, and we cry out, and maybe he doesn't come as we expected or as we wanted. Uh, But he does come. And when he comes to Mary and Martha in the story he laments with them. Even though he knows the end of the story, it doesn't stop him from actually coming close to them, or really coming close to us too, in our pain. And so I find that a great comfort. But I want to go just to Revelation, the end end of the book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible. Revelation 21 says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, that picture of wiping away tears, uh, it means there's something that we legitimately cry about. And uh, My wife and I, we have a seven-month-old, and one night, a couple, actually I think it was like this week, uh, he was crying, and Meredith had, picked him up and wiped away his tears, and she remarked, you know, isn't it amazing that, you know, how much we love our our little son, uh, when we wipe away his tears, God cares for us in the midst of our pain and fear and crying, just like that, where he actually wipes away our tears too, and that brought me a great comfort just to think, you know what, our God is here in the midst, even though we know the end of the story, he is in the midst of our pain, and he suffers with us, and he loves us, and that's, that's a great comfort.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much, Colton. I uh, and
2: we'll continue to
0: remember your dad in prayer over the weeks uh, coming, as well as he's in treatment for sure. Now, uh, most of you probably know that I'm still personally very much in, uh, well, in the mode of grieving, um, having lost my brother Jordan just a few months ago. And so, this question for me is not sort of philosophical and heady. This is where I live right now, and. um, I guess it's personal. It's as real as it gets for me. Uh, Interestingly, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians over the last few weeks. And um, one of the things that, like a number of the books that Paul writes, um, he he tells us that he's actually writing from jail. And you would hardly know this except for one tiny little line in uh, chapter 6, verse 20. He calls himself an ambassador in chains. And here's why this is interesting. Paul just seems to take for granted that life, until Christ comes again to remake and make new um, his creation and all those who trust him within it, until Christ does that, in this world we will suffer. Like, you don't have a single whiff of, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. No. Paul just seems to take for granted that he will suffer if he's following Jesus, Uh, It seems to be part and parcel of life that suffering will happen, that pain will be a a reality until Jesus returns. But the why questions for all of us, they're inevitable because we as humans are meaning machines. We have a God-given innate desire to know why something is happening. And I actually think that that's an important part of what it means to be human. Uh, We'll even start to create meanings just to make sense of things. Why? Well, I think it's because God created us with meaning in mind, that this isn't a purposeless world. So the fact that we want there to be meaning, actually, that's a pointer to the fact that God has created the world meaningfully. So our search for meaning is, at the end of the day, I believe, a search for God. So what then do we do when, when we bump up against the why questions or, uh, or other people around us do? What, like, what does a Christian view say to that? Now we've already heard that there is a time for everything under the sun. There is a time to speak and there really is a time to be silent. And, and we need to know what time it is, as Colton said. He put that really well. There is a time for just tears and hugs and no words at all. That, that does exist. But maybe we're wrestling with our own thoughts, like we see something happen and, and we know maybe I'm, I don't speak into this, but we've actually got to speak to our own hearts because our minds might be reeling in the face, especially if our tragedy is a personal one. Or maybe we have a friend or a coworker, or a discussion comes up at the dinner table like Joe was talking about, even with our kids. And so the why comes up and we need to know how to think Christianly about this why question. Because there is a time for speaking as well, even if it's just speaking to ourselves. Um, now there are certain sorts of why questions that are that are just a mystery. They are, but others are not. You see, at one level, the answer to the question "Why did that plane crash last Sunday?" Well, the answer to the question will come because there's going to be an investigation. Because sometimes technologies fail. Sometimes bolts break. And so there is probably a perfectly good natural explanation for what happened. But that's not the kind of why question that we're ultimately wrestling with. That's not at the level of meaning that the human heart is searching for. Now it's at this other level that we're asking questions like this. Well, does, does God control everything that happens? And therefore, is this God's plan? Like, is it his responsibility that that plane crashed? And I would give a firm no to that question phrased in that way. You see, we find in Romans 8 that Paul says, all creation is groaning. That's a word that speaks of internal anguish because things are out of joint. We know the world is not supposed to be like this. But death and decay, they have entered the human story as a result of humans rejecting the loving leadership of God. That's what Jill mentioned already. The consequence of that is the unraveling of connectedness. We're disconnected from life as life was meant to be, from the wholeness. And, and, and Paul says all of creation is experiencing that right now. And so God creates the world in this way, where God gives us real choice. Now to say that God is sovereign is not to say that God is manipulating and controlling every single little detail. For if that was the case, then every single command that God has given us would legitimately be, I mean, it wouldn't make sense that we would have commands that we weren't actually able to choose to do. And the chief of those commands is, love God and love your neighbor. Those commands would be pointless if we were controlled like a puppet that would mean that we're just puppets that we are actually not responsible for our own choices and real love you see isn't possible for robots as jill mentioned or puppets as i'm saying we truly need to be free if we're to truly love and so god creates the world in such a way that real love is possible and that means that real unlove is also possible Yes, God knows what happens before it even happens. He is all-knowing. And yes, God is all-powerful. He could have miraculously intervened. He could have caused a different outcome. And sometimes he does intervene miraculously. That's why we pray for miracles, because sometimes God does them. He really does. And yes, God is all-powerful loving. He is good. We prayed that in our prayer today. And I think this gets to the heart of our question. If he knows about it, if he's powerful enough to change the outcome, if he actually loves the people involved, then why the tragedy? And, and sometimes people take that question, they say, well, a God who's all three of those things, that God couldn't exist. And that's a powerful argument, and people still use it in coffee shops today as a way of kind of disproving the existence of God, the problem is that no philosopher who's really thought through it believes it anymore. That argument against God has actually kind of been thrown out at the philosophical level. You see, the problem is this. Just because I can't think of a good reason why God didn't intervene miraculously doesn't mean that a good reason can't exist. Just because I don't know what it is doesn't mean that God doesn't have reason beyond me, because surely he does. God's sovereignty means that at the end of the day, God is drawing all of creation toward a good ending. He knows that ending perfectly. In fact, we already read about what that ending looks like. So God's sovereignty is knowing that God gets what God wants in the end. He really does. And so when people are grieving, we're told to weep with those who mourn. There was a time to stand in silence and just be present. And to honestly say, we really don't know why at that meaning level this happened. We re- and we, we say that because we don't. I have no idea why at that meaning level that plane crashed. I, I couldn't tell you the reason. But there are some things that we do know. And this is the most important thing we could ever know. We might be thinking or saying or crying out, why doesn't God do something if the world is such a mess? And the answer is, he did. God enters the mess. He became one of us, experienced hunger and thirst and rejection and desertion and loneliness, but more, much more. He experienced death itself. Tragic death. Violent, undeserved death. Jesus, who is God the Son, associates with the most desperate of human suffering and shame. So the one thing I could never say to God in the midst of the worst hurts that we could ever face is, God, you don't know what it's like. No, he does, actually. He knows what it's like and so much more. We need to remember that the whole purpose of Jesus coming and his death Was to actually break open life so that a new creation is possible. To give us hope that goes beyond the grave. And the resurrection, a fact of history, that's what guarantees it for us and for all who put our trust in Jesus. See, God knows what it's like, He knows what every hurt is like. And God has done everything necessary so that we can one day know liberation from the pain of this world once and for all time. Now, That hope doesn't mean that we don't have a sick heart in the now. We do. We talked about that. It means our grief is real. But when we take the big, long view, we know it's not the end of the story. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8.23, that along with creation groaning, we also groan inwardly. As we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, basically to get all that God has promised the redemption of our bodies, Paul says. We have a longing for all things to be made new. And Paul goes on to say that the Spirit of God actually helps us to pray. When all we have is wordless groans, when we're in the midst of the most deep, dark, ugly feeling, the heart sickness, we're promised that the Spirit actually comes in and prays for us brings that wordless groan to the father so sometimes our sitting in silence feeling heart sick when we orient ourselves to remember that we are living before the face of god god's spirit is actually there interceding on our behalf that is incredible i need that i think you need that our city needs to know that that's who god is and so going back to where we started See, Paul, when he's speaking of his chains, here's the larger section. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We have the same hope that Paul was sitting in that prison with. And it's a hope our world needs We also share the same mission that Paul has there to make that hope known. So we may be silent about things we can't speak of, yes, but may we also love long to truly mourn with those who mourn and may we speak lovingly about the things we do know when we're asked. I'm going to pray with you now and the worship team is going to come and lead us in a couple more songs as we close. Just invite you right now, wherever you are, maybe to open your hands to God and say, Lord, I, let's just pray this together. Lord, I, I don't know, nor could I know the answer for the suffering that our world faces, maybe even that I'm facing right now. But I know that you know. I know that you love. And I know that you can meet me now. So, Lord, would you come and meet me? Amen.